We're going to start out really, really, really super spiritual today. Y'all okay with that? I'm actually just kidding. I do want to introduce something to you. We're actually going to start out with a country song today. All right. I want to see how many of you really listen to country. I got to be careful here because I said an old country song earlier and I think I offended some because some don't declare this is old. So you just take it into the context of where you're at. But I want to set the stage. I want to see how many of you really remember this, but it'll have a point here in a little while. Grandpa. See, y'all are, <laughs> y'all get it too. First service, they started singing it. This whole section, right when I said, Grandpa, tell me about the good old. Yeah, they all started. So I'm gonna read the lyrics and then we're gonna keep going. Grandpa. Now look, it's so hard to read the lyrics because I wanna, no, we're not singing it. No, we're just gonna keep talking it. Sing it, boy. Who said that? Yeah, we got, man, we true colors coming out today. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like this world's gone crazy. And Grandpa, take me back to yesterday when the line between right and wrong didn't seem so hazy. We're not gonna do the chorus. Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Grandpa, everything is changing fast. We call it progress, but I just don't know. And Grandpa, Let's wander back into the past and paint me the picture from long ago. That song, many of you shouted it out a minute ago, was released by a group called The Judds in 1986. Wynonna and Naomi. I mean, who can't be famous with names like that? But I can even remember at that time in 1986, I would have been nine years old. But I think back on that, and even from the age of like nine to 13, 14, when I would hear that song, even as a young child, it would stir something in me to wanna live back then, to wanna live back in the, whatever you wanna call the old days. And so what we wanna talk about is even how, when we talk about the old days, we kind of paint this picture in our head of how it seemed slower, it seemed easier, and it was almost the greener pasture mentality. And you know, if we wanna look at the years past, if we wanna look back the, the last year that we've just walked through, it was probably a lot of us in this room wanted to go back. We had that greener pasture mentality that, man, back, then it was easier. Back then it was slower and it was. It was that greener pasture mentality. And we've all walked through weeks, months within the last year where we've yearned for the past. And as parents, I know that what I've gotten caught up in is I have yearned for my children to grow up in the past. Because of what I have found myself doing is I've been apologizing to my kids for the world they're living in now. And we gotta be very careful with that. You know, last Sunday night, we met with our small group and we began to talk about that very thing, about the world that our children are growing up in. 
And what we gotta be careful is what our children are hearing us say, what they hear us talking about. But what, we, what I was blown away as we had this conversation last Sunday night, I wake up Monday morning and I was sitting in my living room at about 4.45 and I, I took out the word of God and I started reading Haggai chapter two, which is where we were gonna be this week. And I sat and I started reading and I was blown away at what the word of God was showing and teaching me in that moment. So I want you to go ahead and turn there to Haggai chapter two. And we're gonna read verse one. We're gonna bounce back and forth. We're gonna go to Haggai. We're gonna go to Ezra. We're gonna go to Isaiah and Revelation. So we're kind of covering the whole, whole Bible today in some way, shape or form, but, um, but we'll get there quickly. But in Haggai chapter two, if you haven't been with us, just to sort of catch you up very quickly, Haggai the prophet was coming to the children of Israel who had been in bondage of Babylon for 70 plus years. Through King Cyrus, he came and King Cyrus told him, hey, you've been set free. We have overtaken Babylon. You now are to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple that has been destroyed, rebuild the temple of God. And so we know that some 50,000, they were declared and called the remnant of the people. They go back to Jerusalem and they go to work on doing what God had called them to do. And then all of a sudden the government gets aggravated. The government comes at them. The government shuts them down. And so they became very discouraged. They became down in the dumps and they just became paralyzed. For 16 years, they stopped doing what God had called them to do. And so where we've been at in the book of Haggai is Haggai the prophet has gone back to him. We read it last week. He encouraged them to get back to work. He said, I don't care what you've done in the past. Let's stop thinking about the last 16 years where you've done nothing. And if you remember, he told them to get up, go back to the mountain, cut the wood, and let's get back to doing what God has called you to do. And so what we find this week is they have laid the foundation. They have laid the foundation of what God has called them to do. And let's read in verse one, and this will kind of pick up where we're at. Verse one, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, now we're gonna stop right there. I know if you're like me, we read those numbers. We read the 21st day of the seventh month. And when, then we look over in chapter one, it says in the second year, Darius the king, the first day of the sixth month. And a lot of times we just skim over those, those dates. But it's very important to understand what was taking place on the, the 21st day of the seventh month. You see, this would have taken place in the fall of the year and it was what was declared as the feast of the tabernacle. And you see, what you gotta understand is this was a celebration. This was a party. So the morale was high, the energy was high. And on this very day, what they celebrated, because it was the fall of the year, they were celebrating the harvest. They were celebrating that they were getting the opportunity to reap what they had sown. But then they also remembered back when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they celebrated God's faithfulness to carry them through it and carry them out. And so you can think about it, this day was just a day of celebration, of high energy. They were excited about what God had done and what God was gonna continue to do. So now let's keep reading in verse two. And he says, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. That's what we talked about last week, the remnant of the people. Now look at the question that Haggai asked. Now remember, high energy, 
Everybody's excited about what's going on. Everybody's excited about the foundation being laid. And then here's the question. Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So you see the, we read that question and keep in mind the context, they're excited. Feast of the tabernacle, we're at a party. And now all of a sudden Haggai asked this question. And if you ask me, this is like the most fun sucking question in the world. They're excited about what God is doing. And he said, but who among you remembers what the temple used to look like? How many of you remember what it used to be? So yeah, <laughs> there went that party. Remember, they're celebrating God's faithfulness. They're full of energy, they're full of encouragement. And then Haggai asked this sobering question, who among you remembers what it used to be like? Now there's a reason that he asked that. I want you to flip to the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter three, and we're gonna find out why, because it seems to me when you first read that on the surface, it seems like Haggai is the guy that's taking the question, but what he was trying to do was reveal what was going on in this current situation. He was addressing some rumbling that was happening with inside this remnant of the people. He was, he was addressing an issue of, of, of murmuring and some, some discouragement and some low morale. And so that's why he asked the question. He says, who is it that's asking these questions? So I want you to look with me in Ezra chapter three, verse 10 and 11. Now look, this is gonna be perfect. You're seeing how excited they are. You're seeing the fruits of the Feast of the Tabernacle through these first couple of verses. When we read this, verse 10. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, and the cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction the King David of Israel. Verse 11, they sang, they were praising, they were giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all of the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. You see, they were celebrating. They were excited. Everything was going the way the Feast of the Tabernacle was supposed to be. They were excited about God's faithfulness and what God was doing. And then listen at verse 12. Yet many of the high priests and the Levites and the head of the fathers of the households the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the people and the sound and the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud voice and the sound was heard far away. You see, so let's, let's paint the picture here. You've got these young, Jewish, vibrant, excited people who are walking in their obedience to the Lord. Yes, God has given them grace. They, they lie desolate for 16 years. God's extended mercy, he's extended grace. They've gotten back to work doing what God has called them to do. They're celebrating because the foundation has been laid. So here's this one side over here that's excited. But then over here on this side, 
you got Winona and Naomi sitting cross-legged on the hood of a Ford. It's another song. Y'all see what I did there? So many of you are going, filing down and nails. Yeah, y'all get it. But you got them over here singing. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. What we experienced, what we saw, what we watched is so much greater than what you're a part of. It's so much greater than what you're celebrating. If you know what we were a part of, you wouldn't even be celebrating it. You see, the problem with that is there's nothing wrong with talking about the good old days. There's nothing wrong about talking about the past. But when we're so locked on the past, we don't notice the present that what God is doing now. We can get so caught up in living in the good old days, we get so locked in on how good things used to be that we don't even take notice of what God is currently doing in our present time. I am guilty of this. I have walked in this for the last year. It's like everything I see on TV, I go back and I think, man, what I would give to go back and live then. Things seemed easier. It just seemed a little slower. And I have very quickly gone back to that greener pasture mentality. Now remember, you've got the Jewish people who are so excited. Remember, they just come through a season of discouragement. When the government came against them, they stopped doing what God had called them to do. They were discouraged because of the outside forces, because the enemy paralyzed their work. But what we read last week is they overcame that. They overcame the outside forces and they got back to doing what God had called them to do and they got back to work. But you see how sneaky the enemy is? You see, they overcame the enemy that was attacking from the outside. And so now what the enemy does is he uses the very people from the inside to sow discouragement. You gotta understand this is the same remnant of the people. They were all the people who had stepped out on faith. These were part of the church, if you would. And so now the discouragement's not coming from the enemy. The discouragement's not coming from the outside. The discouragement is coming from within the church. And if we're not careful, we can overtake the outside enemies. But if we're not careful, the enemy will look at every little crack and crevice. He can come in and he will sow dissension beginning on the inside. And that's where we have got to be so careful that we recognize what the enemy is trying to do. But you see how the discouragement began again is we saw a comparison trap. This is something that we're all guilty of. You can say that you don't compare with anybody, but you're lying. We all compare to some extent with other people. And you know, Every one of us hold a piece of technology in our hand every single day. And that is one of the enemy's biggest tools to suck you into the comparison trap. We look at Instagram, we look at Facebook, we look at all of the social media platforms. And what we do is we compare our life with everybody else's. 
Newsflash, and you've heard me say this before, you recognize what you're seeing on everybody else's Instagram is their highlight reel. That's the top 10 plays of the week on ESPN. That is not what their normal life looks like. They don't post the chaos. They don't post the things that are going nuts. Now, unless you're Abigail Sloan. If you follow Abigail, you gotta love it because it's just real. I watch Abigail and it makes me feel a lot better about what's going on in my house. I meant that in the very lovingest way I can. I love the transparency. But you understand that what you see is just a clip. And what you see on their post is their highlights. That's the best of their week. You didn't see all the the struggles. You didn't see all the battles. But what you saw is their highlight film and you're very easy. I am very easy to get sucked into that and compare my life to theirs. We so quickly compare what we drive with what somebody else drives. We so quickly compare our house to somebody else's house. We so quickly compare our child's performance with somebody else's child's performance. And you know, to take it a step further, we compare one ministry with another ministry. We compare what one church is doing versus what another church is doing. Because we've created this environment in our minds that everything is a competition. And we get sucked into this comparison trap. That's exactly what you're seeing in Ezra chapter three. The old is comparing with the new. And so by default, the new begins to compare with the old. And we know what happens when we compare, we get discouraged because everything doesn't seem the way that we think it should. And we know what happens when people get discouraged. We just read it. We stop. It paralyzes us because we say, what's the point? My life's never gonna look like theirs. My home is never gonna look like that one. So what's the point? I'll just throw in the towel. And you know, if we even look back at this temple, the temple of Solomon's day compared to the fingerprint of this foundation that had been laid by by this new movement, if you would, we would all agree that the old temple was much more beautiful than the new one. We would all agree that it was more beautiful than what the work was happening now. But the reason that we would say that it was more beautiful is because we've compared. We have in our own minds what makes something beautiful. And so here's what I want us to think about today. And that's why we get caught up in doing that in churches is we're looking at things through the wrong lenses. We are wired to look at things through a worldly perspective. The reason that we would have said this temple was better than this one is because it was bigger, it was fancier, it was gonna be a larger footprint than the other one. So we've got on these earthly lenses, but what we forget about is the work that God was doing in this new temple was no different than what he was doing in the old temple. Because here's what I want you to think, and if you don't hear anything else, I want you to write this down. Christian success 
is not based off a product produced, but it's based off the obedience performed. Christian success is not based off of a product produced, but it's based off the obedience performed. And you know, we can very quickly compare one church to another church. You know, we celebrate things around here. We're still passing out coats because you were faithful and you donated and we were able to give people stuff to stay warm. You know, over the last two weeks, we've gone into several schools and we have been able to feed the teachers in these schools to just let them know how they're on our hearts and our minds. We went over Christmas and we put up a basketball goal in a, in a neighborhood who couldn't afford a basketball goal. Yeah, just one basketball goal. We didn't build a court, we didn't build a gym, we put up a basketball goal. And so when you hear all of that, and then you see in comparison to what maybe some other churches are doing, they're feeding 30, 40, 50,000 people. And if we're not careful, we're looking at that going, golly, what we're doing doesn't compare to what they're doing. But you see, the problem is, is we're looking at it through worldly lenses. And remember, Christian success is not the product produced, but the obedience performed. So what we're doing by putting up one basketball goal is no different than feeding 40,000 people. Because at the bottom line, at the end of the day, it's all about obedience. But what has God called us to do? What we're gonna be responsible for is what God calls us to do. And if that's to put up one basketball goal, that's to put up one basketball goal. If one day it is to feed 40,000 people, we're gonna feed 40,000 people. So what we've gotta be careful of is that we don't discredit what God is doing now. Don't look over what God is doing now. And you see, he's instructed this younger generation. He's instructed them exactly how to build the temple. And what they've got to make sure they're doing is they have got to be solely focused on their obedience. They've got to be solely focused on their obedience. Obedience has nothing to do with the past. Obedience has nothing to do with the past. So instead of this older generation talking about the good old days, what they should be doing is encouraging the younger generation about what God is doing now. Isaiah 43, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it right quick. Isaiah chapter 43. If I can find it. This is that awkward part where y'all can sing the good old days with the judges if you want to. Isaiah 43, we read here, do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new and now it will spring forth. Will you be aware of it? Did y'all hear that? Man, talk about a sobering question. Now I will spring forth. Will you be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness rivers in the desert, the beast of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert 
to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Instead of looking in the past, let's look what he's doing now. And that's exactly what Haggai is about to do. So I want you to flip back there, if you would. Go back to chapter two. And we're gonna look at verses four and five. Man, my pages are sticking together today. Haggai chapter two, verses four and five. He says here, but now take courage. Some of your Bibles may say, be strong. Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. Don't get discouraged looking back, but be encouraged where God is taking us now. And as this message was so timely for the Jewish people, the, the, the rumbling, the arguing, the, the discouragement was beginning to well up inside because there was so much finger pointing saying what we did was better what we did doesn't compare to what you're doing now. Why it was so timely is because I believe that it was the best message for this younger generation to hear right now is to take courage, work, and don't fear. And I believe that right now, that's what us as this body of Christ, we need to hear this message today. We need to hear, we gotta take courage. And it's no accident that he said it three different times. So there's an importance of it being said three times. He wants it to get into our stubborn head that as the followers of Jesus Christ, we've gotta take courage or we've gotta be strong. Then we've gotta get back to work. But in the midst of all of that, guess what? We don't have to fear. The reason that we don't have to fear is because it says the Lord of hosts is with you. When you look at that translation, some Bibles may even say the Lord of the armies. So when we define armies, when we define hosts, what that is is an organized body of armed personnel trained for war. Or it's a body of persons organized to advance a cause. Do you hear that? So your children, what are we pouring over them right now? Are we like Winona and Naomi? We're singing about the good old days because you know what? That's been me. I can't tell you how many times that I have apologized to my children for the world that they're growing up in. But why that is such a slippery slope is because when they hear that discouragement coming from daddy, what I've got to ask myself the question, will my discouragement paralyze them? Will my discouragement keep them from doing what God has called them to do? 
Will they get to the point where they're saying, well, you know what? It's never like it was when daddy grew up. So what's the point? And you know, that happened to me two weeks ago. I was right over here on Tanner's meal with my 11 year old daughter. And out of nowhere, Andy says, daddy, my childhood is terrible. From an 11 year old. And so in that moment I said, baby, why, why do you say that? She said, well, daddy, I can't even get excited about anything. Because if I get excited about it, it gets canceled. She said, daddy, I can't even see my friend's face at school because we were contained to this mask. Daddy, I can't do this. Daddy, everybody's fighting, everybody's arguing. But what I begin to listen to, you know what I begin to hear? I begin to hear me. She was repeating everything that I have said over the last year. Because I've apologized to her over and over and over for the world that she's living in. But instead, what I've gotta be reminding her, what I've gotta be reminding my children, what you've gotta remind your children of is to take courage, be strong, keep working, and don't fear. Because the Lord of hosts is with us. And we are the army. We are the army that is armed personnel trained for war. We are a body of believers who have put together to advance a cause. And the reason that we can take courage, the reason that we can work, and the reason that we don't have to fear is because we are powered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so how in the world can I drop my kids off at school and say, good luck kids today, I hope you survive. Because at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is residing in them. And what I am doing is I'm saying, I don't know if you've got the ability to survive today because you're weak. But instead, I've got to tell them as they get out of that truck every morning, you take courage, you work, and you don't fear because the same Holy Spirit that brought my Lord and Savior out of a grave is going with you into the hallways of your school today. Don't you hang your head. You keep your head up high because we win. We are victorious through Christ. We're not victorious through anything other than that. So we've got to quit apologizing. And we've got to encourage. We've got to quit apologizing. We've got to encourage. Look with me in chapter two, verses six through eight. We see that he's preparing them for what's about to happen. We see that, they're, that Haggai's preparing them for what's coming. In verse six, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all of the nations and the dry land. I will shake all of the nations and they will come with the wealth of all the nations and I will fill the houses with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, 
The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Then verse nine, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, you gotta understand, they were very familiar with the works that God has done all throughout the Old Testament. This is what they were learning. This is what they have seen. This is what they're watching. And what they knew is that in most cases, when God would shake things up, he was about to reveal his glory. But see, in that shaking is where we've gotta be careful. Because if you look back, when Moses went up on the mountain, it said that they saw the thunder or heard the thunder. They saw the lightning. They saw the fire. It says that they heard the trumpets. They heard the voice of God. They saw the smoke. They saw it all. And the Bible says that they became fearful. And so what God was doing is he was shaking it up. But we know what happened is he revealed his glory through Moses. He revealed himself after the shaking. And so what we've gotta be thinking about is there's no doubt our world is being shaken. Our world is being shook up. And what I'm believing with everything in me is God is getting ready to reveal his glory. God is getting ready to do something amazing with my children, with your children, and with your generation. But the question is, what are we gonna do during the shaking? Are we gonna be overcome with fear and uncertainty? Or do we need to be reminded today to take courage, to work and not fear? Because he tells us in the word, there's what the Haggai was telling him. He says, look, the latter temple, the latter work of mine is not gonna compare to the old days. What I'm getting ready to do is not gonna compare to the old days because I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something big and I'm about to reveal my glory. And we read that where he says, the gold is mine, the silver is mine. What we can find out about the second building of that temple is a lot of people brought everything and the way that it ended up was absolutely beautiful. But a lot of scholars believe that this is the foreshadowing of the second coming of Christ. That there's coming a time when Jesus Christ comes back for his children and that day will not compare to anything anyone has ever seen. We think we live in chaos right now. You wait till the return of Christ. You wait till he comes to receive his bride unto himself. So in the midst of the shaking, we gotta believe that he's getting ready to reveal his glory. We gotta stop longing for the old days and start longing for what's coming. And I wanna to read to you what's coming. I struggled to do, if to do this in the first service and we did, so we're gonna do as God leads us. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and we're gonna look at what's coming. 
But here's why I want us to do this. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're at home, I want you to gather your children in. I want you to place the Bible on the kitchen table or lay in the bed, wherever. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna read what's coming together. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. I read really slow. I'm country, so y'all be able to keep up. But let's start reading together. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I want you, look, we're reading it out loud. Don't read it in your heart. Don't read it in your mind. We're gonna read it out loud. And I saw heaven opened up and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in the righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And in his name written on him with no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in the heaven clothed in fine linen and white horses, no, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is what is coming and guess what? We win. This is what we've got to start declaring over our children is that there is coming a day when the clouds will part and we will see our Savior. Say, that's it. That's it. His latter glory will be greater than the former glory. What he's getting ready to do is greater than anything he's ever done. But what will we do till then? What will we do till then? Are we gonna continue to long for the past? Or are we gonna take the words of Haggai and we're gonna say, take courage? We're gonna keep working and we're not gonna fear. Specifically moms and dads today. You know, your kids may be downstairs, your kids may be in youth, they may be sitting with you in this room. Stop apologizing to your kids. God in his sovereignty knew this was coming. This didn't catch God off guard. And what God has done, God has chosen your children. God has chosen my children to lead us out of this mess. And if we continue to say we're sorry, oh, you got a pitiful life, then what are they gonna do? They're gonna just get discouraged and they're gonna lay down and they're gonna quit. But what we've gotta do as parents 
Don't talk about the past. Talk about what God is getting ready to do in them now. God didn't make a mistake. This didn't slip up on God. And you wanna hear something that's even further convicting? Maybe our life was easier. Maybe growing up was slower. Did he know we couldn't handle it? Did he know that we couldn't take it? So he says, you know what? I'm gonna take that younger generation and I'm gonna use them to change the world. So this week as I drop my kids off in the line of the school at Chestnut Mountain Elementary. Yeah, and if I took a snapshot, it would show that we're some super spiritual family. But what you don't hear is, grab their hand. Everybody's touching. Deacon, quit talking and hold somebody's hand. And what I've begun and what I've learned over the last month is I always pray, God, keep them safe. God, help them survive. But after reading this, the Holy Spirit of God has got on me this week. And I pray over those kids every morning before they get out of school. And I say, God, use them to change the world. God, give them courage today. God, make them work today. But God, most importantly, as they step foot out of this truck, don't let them fear because God, you are living in them. You are with them and through them, the world is gonna be changed. Stop apologizing to our kids because God has prepared them for such a time as this. They are part of the army that is ready to wage war. They are a part of a people who is created to advance a cause. And it is our responsibility to push them. It's our responsibility to put them in it. Stop apologizing and empower. And so this morning, this may be uncomfortable for some of you. This may be uncomfortable for all of you. But if you're a parent here this morning and your child is in this room, I'm gonna ask you in just a moment to get with that child. If you wanna bring them to this altar, bring them to the altar. Some of us owe our children an apology. I was one of them. But maybe even right now before the song starts, we're not gonna go into a worship song in the beginning because I wanna challenge moms and dads, you find your child, you find your kids and you get ready to pray. You're gonna pray over your children this morning. You say, well, that sounds awful bossy. I don't care. We're gonna pray with our kids this morning. And we're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit of God empowers them to be the light in the darkness. 
And so I want you right now in this moment to take some time. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're part of what some would declare the older generation. I gotta be careful there because some can get offended when I say older generation. But maybe you can look around and you see a young mom or dad that's walking around or in the room. Maybe the Lord compels you to go pray with them as young parents. Or maybe God just lays it on your heart to go pray with somebody today. But let's stop apologizing and let's empower. God, I pray that right now that we would move. God, I pray that moms and dads would take their children by the hand and they would bring them to this altar. And God, they would pray over these children. Or God, I pray that they would do it right in their seats. But God, let's just simply pray. God, remind us of the power that is within us today. In Jesus' name, amen.